today it's a great privilege to talk about people uh, with special needs and how Jesus embraced them and how we can embrace them as well. So uh, Sheree, you came to me years ago with the idea of really embracing special needs ministries and families here. Yeah, so 2005, I think it was, um, we had a mom who popped into our life and she said, in 20 years, I've not been able to go to church. Wow. She had a special needs kiddo and uh, it just never worked for her. And so I remember coming to you and saying, nope, Scott, I don't know what I'm doing at all, <laughs> but you know, that's never stopped me. That's and right. so, uh, so through that, the ministry was birthed and I'm super proud of Rancho yeah. because, and we had to learn. I mean, it's been a learning process for us, but through that, we've had some amazing things come out of it. Well, tell us about a little bit of the things that we do as a church and then how uh, we have wonderfully welcomed Megan and her family and then how they have then given back as well. So we'll uh, give us a little flavor of what we do. Okay, so we have Thrive Ministry, which is amazing. And that's how we kind of met, uh, was through the Thrive Ministry. And Megan, just tell us a little bit about what that has, has meant to your family. The Thrive Ministry has been incredible for our family. There are stories I hear about all the time, unfortunately, where parents attend church with their children, like you said, the parents don't get to go to church. Or, you know, it's not that anyone's saying you can't come here, but they're not well equipped or trained to handle individuals with alternate needs. And when we come here initially, we were, we were worried, I'll be honest, we weren't sure, is this something new? Our daughter has a lot of needs. She's seven years old, she's a twin, and she has a wheelchair. And we were greeted instantly, come meet our Thrive Ministry. You need to come over here. You need to meet us. We want to welcome your daughter. And uh, we filled out a short medical form, gave them some safety tips. And we came back to her being loved on, having, she's sitting in a leader's lap, reading the Bible. And now fast forward what, five years later, she is greeted by her best friend every Sunday who gladly takes her into children's ministry. And nobody sees the chair. They see her. They know her. They know that, yes, this might be a little difficult, but we'll make it work. And she's completely included. It's true inclusion. That's it's true. Great. And it's beautiful. It really is. So that's just one of the pieces that Rancho does. Rancho also does uh, Night to Shine. We partner with the Tim Tebow Foundation, which if you guys have never been a part of that, you need to be a part of that. It's a, it's a prom for special, special needs. needs. Children and young adults. Yes. And uh, it's fantastic. That's actually coming up here in a it's few months. It's coming up in just a few months, and it is amazing. They are truly the kings and queens of the yeah, night. Yeah, it is awesome. And it is awesome. I mean, not a dry eye, right? right. Um, and then we have a big partnership with Johnny and Friends. It's developed over the years. Um, and Megan and her family are part of that as well. Um, we're blessed because both her and her husband are nurses, and yes. so they do give back. They actually are a family as well as attending. But through Johnny and Friends, that's a ministry that's both national and international. Mm -hmm. So there's many aspects to Johnny and Friends, and one of them is something that I'm super excited about. Uh, we're going to partner with their Wheels uh, for the World, and that's coming up in the springtime. And what's so neat about that ministry in the Johnny and Friends world is that we will collect wheelchairs. They will be taken to prisons. Those inmates will actually repair the chairs, get them all cleaned up. They will actually send them to places like Haiti, which I think I shared with you about the one girl who, you know, her whole life has been in a wheelbarrow. Right. And treated like dirt, you know, literally. Treated like dirt. Never yeah. had a wheelchair in 16 years, and, and Wheels for the World gave her a wheelchair. Her first wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if you could have seen that mom's face, right? I think you yeah. saw the video of it. It's, it's we beautiful. will watch that together uh, in the spring. Spring. Yeah. Anyway, um, but what's beautiful is they, they take doctors over there, they fit them, they bring a picture and a letter back to the inmate that fixed the chair. Yeah. 
cool. So it's beautiful, right? So that's kind of our partnership. In through that, though, Megan and her family, like I said, has been a big part of a lot of these pieces. Well, tell us your, your story, particularly about the, the wheelchair, because we think, okay, well, that's Haiti, but you had your own challenges getting uh, wheelchair. The, that ministry speaks so much to me. Um, we, when our daughter was two and a half and we first picked up her cerebral palsy diagnosis, uh, our neurologist said, you really need to look at getting her a wheelchair. And the insurance quickly said, no, I don't think she needs it. In fact, you could take a high chair and put it in a stroller and that could be her wheelchair. And uh, so two insurances, three appeals, and a call to a news station later, we finally <laughs> got her a wheelchair. Yeah. And I, I sat back and thought, my gosh, if I'm a nurse and I'm in the States where medicine's supposed to be good, and this is what it took to get this child a chair, what are people internationally struggling with? Because a look on that child's face when she sat in her first wheelchair and felt secure and comfortable there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And I can't imagine what these families that are blessed by this ministry feel when they get their chair. Well, and the great thing about this story is you have your, uh, your own family's advocacy for your own children, but then you also turn that around and you're helping other people. So there's a picture of you and your beautiful family with Johnny Erickson Tata uh, at the Johnny and Friends uh, camp. And uh, cute, just, right? just wonderful, right? And you're, 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 so your, your family is involved with that as well, but you're also serving as a nurse. So it's just beautiful to me how we are all serving each other and we're all learning from each other. Um, and it's a, just a beautiful community where everyone is, is welcome. And we so appreciate you and your family for being a part of Rancho. And uh, we can't wait for the further partnership ahead and uh, Wheels for the World coming up in the spring. So check that out as well as the uh, One Enchanted Evening prom for special needs uh, uh, kids. It's going to be fantastic. So Cherie, thank you for your leadership. Megan as well. Such a pleasure to have you part of Rancho. So when we say mercy, justice, and love, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. This is about eyes wide open to where there are needs and how we can meet those needs. But beyond that, how can we learn from each other? So it's not just about those who have given to those who have not, those who are able-bodied given to those who are not. It really is a, a community of equals. As, as Pastor Dion said earlier, in Jesus Christ, we are all equals. We are all one. So we're learning from each other, growing together as a family of faith. And that's really what uh, gets us excited about our mission. And uh, you should know our mission by now. We repeat it every week that we're a diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. That's who we are as a church. We're not just to come and listen church. We're not just come and all agree about the same, you know, religious things that we've heard our entire life and then go home. We are an active, living, breathing body of Jesus Christ, following Jesus, listening to what he said, and then we're gonna say that, watching what he did, and we're gonna do that. And that drives this mission of mercy, justice, and love. So today we're gonna to talk about a heart for people with special needs. And I'm just gonna lay it out early here. This is difficult. This is really difficult. When we consider people with disabilities or people with special needs, it does something inside of us. It is, it is especially and uniquely heartbreaking. Some of the stories that we hear from families, uh, some of the, the, the mothers and fathers who, who take care of their uh, children for their entire lives in just heart-wrenching situations, it does something to us emotionally. Uh, we run the summer camp, of course, for Johnny and friends, and we get to know these kids and young adults and their stories, and, and all you can do sometimes is just grieve and, and with them and encourage them and cheerlead and help wherever we can 
but sometimes the story of these lives uh, just, just breaks our heart in profound and unique ways. Uh, people with special needs come up with all kinds of just complex questions in our own heads and in our own hearts, things that go to the, really the soul of who we are and our relationship with God. And so we see a family and a person with special needs, and we might think to each other, well, you know, where's God in all this? If God is sovereign, why did this happen? If God is good, why does this happen? Uh, we might ask ourselves questions, you know, what is, the, what is the good that can come as a result of that? Um, you know, where is God when it hurts? These are the kinds of questions that we ask. And then the thought of living with special needs and experiencing being a person with special needs or disabilities is often pretty frightening for us because the reality is, and I don't want to get, you know, too serious too quick here, but most of us will probably have special needs at some point. Most of us will have a disability at some point either through an accident or a life situation or a medical diagnosis or just getting older. The older we get, just the way it goes, the less capacities we have. And maybe our, it's our eyesight or maybe it's our mobility, our ability to walk or drive. And so that's just the reality. That's the human condition. Whether we happen to have been born with special needs or at some point we will experience special needs, that's just the way it goes sometimes. And so we need to get more comfortable with this discussion and more comfortable not just with the idea of helping people who are in need or helping people with disabilities, but how we can learn from each other, embrace each other, hear each other's voice, and walk forward as equals. But it is difficult. And sometimes that difficulty results in avoidance. And avoidance is entirely understandable. I'm not gonna pile on guilt here. I understand when you're walking through a store and you see someone with a particular uh, special needs and they might be severe and, and we might have compassion, but we don't know what to do. We're kind of confused and so maybe we don't make eye contact and we avoid. Perhaps these are the kinds of discussions that we don't wanna have, we don't wanna think about. Some of you might've come to church today thinking, well, if I'd known this was the subject, I wouldn't have come because it's sometimes uncomfortable to think about. But we've got to get used to the idea that Jesus came with a mission and he came with a mission for all. He came with these wide open doors. He talked about this brand new kingdom of heaven that he's gonna establish on the earth and everybody is welcome to come, including, and I would say especially, people with disability, people of special needs. Now, when we think about following Jesus, we've got to be very aware that Jesus, the one we follow, spent much of his time helping people with special needs. So as followers of Jesus, that's not just oh, the religion of our choice. There's no following Jesus is a lifestyle, right? Following Jesus is a lifestyle that increasingly does what Jesus did. And so if we follow Jesus around, where did he go? What did he do? Well, he spent a lot of time helping people with special needs people who couldn't walk, people who couldn't see, people who may have had mental disabilities. He reached out to them, he humanized them, he loved them, he was in relationship with them and he tangibly helped them. So let's rewind the tape a little bit. 2,000 years ago, that's when Jesus walked in the uh, area of Palestine, the ancient Near East. What did they think about people who were um, disabled? What, what did they think about people who had special needs? Well, it was very different. 2,000 years ago, during the time of Jesus, in the area of Jesus, they thought of people with special needs as cursed by God. No kidding. That was their theology. That was their frame of mind. That was their worldview. If somebody was going through something bad, something bad must have been done because God is certainly punishing them. That was their whole worldview. It was a whole religious mindset. 
Dr. Candida Moss, professor at the University of Notre Dame, says this. She's an expert in the subject. In the ancient world, she says, people thought that when individuals were disabled, they were blind or couldn't walk or had some kind of physical infirmity. They got this infirmity because they had done something wrong, because they had angered a deity and were being punished. And it was really their responsibility. Either they had sinned or perhaps their parents had sinned. So disability was a divine punishment. That's what they thought 2,000 years ago, that having a disability was a divine punishment. Now, in our modern times, we might say, oh, well, that's because they didn't understand science. We understand science, right? So we understand genetics. Uh, we understand heredity. Uh, we understand uh, things that could be complicated environmentally that can result in disability or special needs. So we're more awakened to the science of it. So we're more reasoned people, sort of, <laughs> not quite. We still, even the most intelligent among us, even people in the fields of science sometimes still have that sort of lingering ancient religious worldview. And here's how that comes across even today. We might not say that people with disabilities are judged by God, but we might say, well, why would God allow that? If God was sovereign, why would he allow it? Or why even did he do that, right? We're still looking for the cosmic equation. The cosmic equation 2,000 years ago was this person is hurting, they must be judged by God for somebody's sin. That was the cosmic equation 2,000 years ago, but now we are still looking for the cosmic equation that would answer the why question. Why would God allow this? And we search for an answer. Or what is God's greater plan for this, right? Here's something bad that is happening. What must be the equal and opposite good that will explain it? We want explanation. We are so uncomfortable, especially in the Western world, admitting that we don't know the why and that there may not be some cosmic explanation. There may not be some divine equation that answers the why questions. We have trouble embracing that there may not be a clear answer or an obvious reason why somebody has a disability or someone is disabled. So let's look at how Jesus interacted with someone who had a disability. Let's look how Jesus responded to the why question, and I think that'll help us today in terms of how we relate with people uh, of disabilities or people of special needs. John chapter nine, there's a story of a, a man who was blind. And as I read this first verse, knowing now the ancient culture that they considered people with disabilities to be cursed by God, notice the stark difference right away in verse one. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Right away, something should grab us. Jesus saw a man. Jesus saw a man. He saw a person. He saw a human being. He didn't see a category of people. He didn't see the blind. He didn't see a person who was you know, condemned by God the way they believed 2,000 years ago. He saw a man who happened to be blind. He saw a human being, and he immediately went over and related with this human being and dignified this human being and, and began to serve this human being. And then we'll see later, he equipped this man to lead. It's a remarkable, uh, remarkable story. In verse two, the why question is asked. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sins? That was their religious mindset. This, this bad thing has happened. God's getting back at someone. Did this guy sin? Did his parents sin? 
Who did something wrong to bring this, you know, terrible thing upon someone? And here's Jesus' answer. It was not because of his sin or his parents' sin. Jesus is trying to get this whole idea of some cosmic equation, you know, some divine rationale. He's trying to get us uncoupled from that ancient superstitious way of thinking. And Jesus is trying to get us comfortable to just say, hey, this is what it is. This is the situation. Let's relate in a God-honoring way, in a loving way. Let's serve each other. Let's learn from each other. Let's walk this situation together. Let's just embrace what we have. Let's embrace this story just as it is. And let's not torment ourselves with the why question. Because listen, as much as I'd like to tie every story up in a nice little bow, that's not realistic. When there's something that terrible happens, to, to say, okay, well, what's the equal and opposite good? Or who did something wrong and who's God getting back at? To torture ourselves with these questions is of no use and usually only creates further grief and further loss. Instead, let's just, let's embrace what we have. Let's not deny what we have. Let's not look for clean, slick, divine answers. Let's embrace the people around us just as we are. Let's feel what we need to feel. Let's link arms. Let's strengthen each other and learn from one another and, and move forward. Jesus says it's not because of his sin or, or his parents' sin. Let's not worry about the why question. But Jesus did say this. This happens so that the power of God could be seen in him. That the power of God could be seen in him. Now, this is a very complex story with a lot of complex elements to it. And so I did a lot of study of what Jesus was saying when he said, you know what? This isn't about his sin. It's not about his parents' sin. There's no cosmic equation here. But Jesus said the power of God is going to be shown in him. And what did Jesus eventually do? Healed him. Jesus healed him. So if you read commentaries and scholars, most tend to think that Jesus was talking about the individual, not about his sin, not about his parents' sin, not about a cosmic equation, not about the why, but Jesus is saying, I'm gonna show the power of God through this healing. Most people think this is individualized. I tend to think this is more universal because the question is essentially, why do these things happen to people? And Jesus says it's not about divine punishment, but it is about the power of God being shown in every single life. Whether you are have a, a full ability or whether you have disabilities, whether you have um, a power and influence or whether you don't, whether you're the majority or the minority, the, the general question here and the general answer here is that wherever we are in life, God is going to show his power. This story is not in the Bible because of that one man. This is a story in the Bible for all of us because this is a story for all of us and about all of us. So when Jesus says the power of God's gonna be seen in him, there's a broader implication here. The power of God will be seen in all of us, regardless of our circumstances. Now this is interesting, right? Because how is the power of God seen in an individual who is really struggling? How is the power of God seen in us even when there is no miracle? Because let's be honest, Jesus performed a miracle here and this blind man saw but Jesus does not heal everyone, right? You read the scripture. There were times when Jesus healed and he healed and sometimes he healed everyone who came to him, but sometimes he was tired, he's exhausted, he's, he's a man, right? Fullness of divinity, but fullness of humanity. And he left, he left the people, he left the city, 
He left them in their distress. He left them in their disease. He left them in their illness. Jesus did not heal everyone. Does that mean the power of God is only in those who heal? No, Jesus says the power of God is in all of us and will be shown in all of us whether he healed them or not. Let me be plain spoken. The kinds of healing that Jesus did to establish who he was, the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity, I don't see happening today. This kind of healing that we'll see here in a minute, I haven't seen happen today. And listen, I've been around, right? I've been around. I've been in church my entire life virtually. I have been in ministry for coming up on 40 years. I've been to healing conferences with 5,000 people in the room, public stuff, televised stuff. I've been to healing seminars. I've been in healing small groups. I've been in a healing cohort. I've been a part of small groups of people praying for healing. I have never once seen a healing the way Jesus healed. I wish I had, but I haven't. I have never heard about a single healing the way Jesus healed. And in all these environments, what I do see is a lot of manipulation. I see a lot of fraud. I see a lot of false promises. And what ends up happening is a lot of hurt. A lot of people are hurt because they're desperate and they're thinking, I wanna get this cosmic thing right. If I had enough faith, if I had enough prayer, if I had enough people, if I had enough of the right prayers, then God would certainly heal me, right? But I just simply do not see healing the way Jesus healed today. I wish I did, but I don't. I don't. But there's a different kind of power going on. There's a different kind of healing going on. And that kind of healing happens when we follow Jesus in love and we follow Jesus in mercy and we follow Jesus in justice and we follow Jesus by creating a community of inclusiveness where everyone is welcome, everyone has access, everyone has influence, everyone has the ability to steer what happens around here, not just in church, but in, in families and in businesses and in public life where we are a fully inclusive society and a fully inclusive world that says we're gonna treat each other like equals, that's a different kind of miracle. That may not come by the kinds of healing that Jesus brought, but it's a different kind of healing. It's a profound healing where the power of God is at work. Listen to the urgency of Jesus in John 9. While I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And when Jesus was here, there was an urgency to bring the kind of miraculous healings that Jesus did time and time again. But what does he say? While I am here, I'm going to do these things. And then when he commissions his church, he commissions his church according to Galatians 3, which Dion preached during worship. He says, we are all one in Jesus. Neither Jew nor Greek, male nor free, male slave or free, we're all one in Jesus. That's a miracle. That's the healing that we are certainly rooting for, right? Jesus did happen to heal this man. And he healed this man in a, I'm just gonna call it out, a bizarro way. What Jesus did here was bizarre. And very few really even try to get their heads around what he was doing here. We're gonna make an attempt. John 9, 6 and 7. Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Probably a good thing the man was blind, because if he saw what was happening, he'd be, I don't think so. Spits on the ground, makes mud out of his spit, and puts it on the blind man's eyes. You read that, and you're thinking, why did he do that? I mean, there's plenty of times Jesus healed where he just said, you get up, move on. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have to go through all this, but he did for some reason. Then he says to a blind man, go away, Wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. What 
is going on. Why the mud? And why would he tell a blind man with mud caked on his eyes to go to the other side of the city, outside the gate, three blocks down to go to a pool to wash? I mean, now listen, I do a lot of study for these messages, a lot. This one, I just dug and dug and dug. I'm trying to find commentators and scholars that had a unified vision of what Jesus is doing here. And here's what I discovered. Ready? Take notes. Don't really know. I probably read, I don't know, 15 to 20 commentators and scholars, and they all had different ideas. So at first, I was going to end with that, don't really know, and let's just move on. But then it kind of hit me, and I'm just going to be clear, I did not read this, which means 99% chance it's 99% wrong, right? Welcome to Rancho. (laughs) But later on, it's really clear that Jesus did this on the Sabbath, right? If you know anything about the Old Testament... The Sabbath day is the day of rest. Um, The Jews were told, do not work on the Sabbath. That's Saturday. It's a holy day. No work is to be done. So not only do you have the Old Covenant, Old Testament commandments about the Sabbath, but you have the Talmud, which has hundreds, maybe thousands of specific commands about what work is and what work isn't to make sure that on that Saturday, if you're a good abiding Jew following the Judaic tenets, that you would not work on the Sabbath because their whole frame of mind which is true a lot of times even today, is that God is out there, up there, and he's looking at our behavior. And he's ready to pounce at the slightest misdeed, right? And he's up there and he's looking, okay, what are you doing with this? What are you doing with that? What are you doing with your choices and words and motives and sexuality? And he's out there and what are you doing with your religious ceremonies and days of rest? And he's up there and he's just watching. And if you sin, he's gonna get you. He's gonna punish you. He's gonna judge you. Now, this man was living under that paradigm his whole life. He was a disabled man under the impression that God had cursed him and judged him for someone's sin. That was his whole life living under the condemnation of God. Now here's Jesus on a Sabbath, on a Saturday day of rest with no ability to do any work according to the Old Testament and according to the Talmud. Do nothing. What does Jesus do? He works on the Sabbath. He mixes saliva and dirt. And we might think that doesn't sound like a lot of work. According to the Talmud, you're mixing. And when you're mixing, you're working. Broke the law, broke the religious law. According to the Old Testament, could have been found guilty and put to death. I'm not kidding you. Jesus did this intentionally. He worked on the Sabbath intentionally, breaking the letter of God's law to prove a point. He worked on the Sabbath. He mixed. Yeah, it was disgusting, but he did it. He was mixing. And then he performed medical care against the law. You can't mix. You can't perform medical care. He broke the law intentionally. And then what does he tell the man? You're going to have to work now. Yes, you're blind. This is probably going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to put you on a walk. You're going to have to walk to the other side of the city. You're going left and right and down the streets and through the gates. You're going to get outside the city. You're going to turn left to the pool of Siloam right there. And you're going to have to work against the law and wash yourself in Siloam against the law. You see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus works on the Sabbath to heal heal the man. And Jesus put the man to work on the Sabbath to be healed. Why would he do that? He did that because Jesus not only was bringing mercy, but Jesus was bringing justice. Mercy would be to the blind man, you can now see, go on your way. Jesus had every right and authority to do that, but he didn't. Jesus performed work, 
and said, now you get to work. We are breaking the law together. We're breaking the religious law together. We're breaking the Old Testament law together, the letter of the law. Why? Because Jesus has to bring justice. People were using religion. People were using the Old Testament. People were using the covenants, the commandments to put religious burdens on people and to keep people entrapped. And this person, this, this man who was blind was trapped in this feeling that he's judged by God, this feeling that he's unworthy, this feeling that he's being punished for someone's sin. Jesus didn't want just a blind man to see. He wanted absolute freedom at the level of justice, tearing down the system that kept him in poverty, tearing down the system that kept him less than, tearing down the system that made him feel cursed. Jesus was intentionally breaking the law with this man to set him free. He says to this man, you are free from the ancient laws that are keeping you trapped, and you are free from the ancient superstitions that are keeping you in bondage. You are free. And because he did that on the Sabbath, the day of rest, the Pharisees panicked because they're not interested in people. They're interested in religious laws and religious traditions, right? So some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such a miraculous sign? This is a big debate. Who is this Jesus? He's working on the Sabbath. He's causing a man to work on the Sabbath, yet he says he's from God. They actually accused him of being from the devil for working on the Sabbath day but yet he's doing so much good. They were wrestling. And the good that Jesus was doing was not just having this blind man see. The good that he was doing was much deeper. He was saying to this man who was blind and to the whole world who might suffer with, with disabilities, that might suffer with special needs, that might have kind of a lot in life that, that is maybe powerless or marginalized or not in the majority. Jesus is saying to all, you're not cursed. You're not being judged by God. You're not second class. You're not unseen. In fact, Jesus says you are seen. You are equally valued. You are dearly loved by God. You're sought out by God through Jesus Christ. And by the way, you're wonderfully made and the vision is that we're gonna care for one another. We're gonna care for one another where we have the privilege to care for you and you have the privilege to care for us, where, where we can teach you some things and you can teach us some things. This is a whole community of humility, learning from one another, caring for one another. This is what God is doing through Jesus Christ. Yes, he gave this man uh, some mercy, but he also gave him justice and freedom from this religious oppression, keeping him marginalized. Jesus showed mercy, justice, and love. So what can we do to follow Jesus? I'm gonna give you just a few quick things that can help us all uh, relate better with people uh, who might have special needs. First, learn how to speak more respectfully. Learn how to speak more res respectfully. Uh, all of us need to learn how to speak um, in ways that are more respectful for people, particularly who are not in the majority or not in positions of power. Now, I know some of you might be concerned either here or online. What are we gonna get into word policing now? Or are you gonna you know, parse every single word and judge me for every little misstep on how I say? And the answer is what I say. And the answer is no. But I think we ought to be learning together how we can speak more respectfully, particularly to, to people who might be in the minority. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's something that we say all the time. I, I think probably all of us have said the phrase, the homeless at some point, right? We talk about the homeless. What do we do about the homeless? 
that is a, is a fairly disrespectful way to talk about human beings, right? Because we categorize them in one lump. Oh yeah, they're just the homeless, as though they all have the same story and are all kind of the same circumstances. So we just talk about the homeless as a category. It's, it's how we speak, right? And it's what we've learned and what we've experienced, but we're learning to speak in a different way that's more respectful. And so when we opened the rescue mission and we started doing more uh, work uh, with people without a home, we have to sort of learn how to speak more respectfully. They're not the homeless, they are people without a home. How did Jesus speak about this man? Jesus saw a man who was blind. So here's just a little trick, it helps me, and I still slip sometimes, um, but it helps me to just start with the word people. Just start with the word people. If you're gonna, if you're gonna talk about people, particularly who are in a minority, use, start with the word people. People without a home people with special needs, people with disability. That does what Jesus does. It really puts people first. I actually made a mistake, and this is not too long ago. I was texting with a buddy of mine who happens to not have a home, and I used the phrase, the homeless. We were talking about kind of bigger issues that we were dealing with, and I used the phrase, the homeless. And he nicely corrected me, and he said in a text, he says, I happen to be a man without a home, and I responded, you're absolutely right, Joe. I am sorry, I should have done better, right? He wasn't angry at me. He wasn't kind of word-pleasing me or judging me because I said a phrase that was common but not quite respectful. And so let's all learn, all right? This is a good thing. Let's learn how to speak more respectively. Start with the word people. Um, secondly, empathy, not pity. Empathy, not pity. Pity is sort of the beginning of how our heart can soften. So pity is when, let's say, we're in Walmart and there's uh, a person with disabilities at the end of the aisle and we feel something. We feel uh, sorry for, right? That's, that's okay. But typically, pity kind of stops there. And then because we don't know what to do, we don't want to make a mistake, we might not make eye contact, we might just kind of walk by, right? Pity is the place to start, but empathy is far, far better. Empathy, I found this out this week. Empathy is a brand new word in English. In fact, it's uh, only 100 years old. Psychologists were looking for a word that was an equivalent to a German word, which I am not gonna even bother trying to pronounce. But there's a German word that means to receive into our own feelings the feelings of others. And there was no English equivalent. And so psychologists coined the word empathy. And that is this decision that we make, which is very difficult, a decision that seeks to take what other people are feeling and put it on ourselves. Let me, let me feel what you feel. I want to do this. And there's something really cool that happens when we decide to feel what other people feel. There's a partnership there. There's a relationship there that just might, for a little bit, lighten the load of somebody who's really struggling. That's empathy. So let's, let's seek empathy, not pity. Normalize relationships, and this is, this is really, really cool, and it does take a little bit of, of practice, but uh, I've had a lot of discussions this morning about this. Let's go, you know, the Walmart aisle again. There's someone with special needs, you know, getting cereal, um, the right cereal, the good cereal, Crispix, right? So they're going for Crispix. The only time I darken the door of a store is to get Crispix cereal, and so, because when we don't have it, it's a, a medical emergency. So you're in the aisle, you're both going after the Crispix, one person happens to have special needs, and then, and then there's us. And what would we do, right? And simply 
try to normalize the conversation, right? Don't necessarily worry about, am I going to make a mistake? Am I going to do the right thing? If there's an adult next to you, have an adult conversation, just chit-chat, normal chit-chat, right? If there's a child, normal chit-chat with a child. Um, don't be condescending, oh, can I help you? Can I, you know? No, just, just have a normal conversation. And this is true in your neighborhood. If it happens to be somebody with special needs in your neighborhood or at your workplace, just normalize conversation. It does take a little bit of practice because we don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to offend. But just try to keep normal adult conversation, normal child conversation, normalize the relationship. You can keep an eye out for access and equality. Keep an eye out for access and equality. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, uh, in government, whatever, just try to advocate as much as you can to make sure everyone is welcome, everyone is included, uh, everyone is treated equally. Um, and then finally, elevate influence. Elevate influence. The United States in America, and much of the Western world in particular, has come a long way in terms of how we uh, welcome minority communities. And this could be ethnic minority, uh, it could be sexual minority, it could be uh, people with disabilities or people with special needs. We've done a lot to say, hey, we're gonna break down some walls here. We're gonna be more inclusive as a people, it's great. So we've come a long way. And we could take some satisfaction in that, right? Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata was on the commission that gave us the Americans with Disabilities Act, one of the greatest pieces of legislation that has ever happened in the United States of America, right? She was right there helping to author it and push it through, right? It's fantastic. So we've come a long way, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We have such a long way to go, not just with access, not just with influence, not even just with inclusion, but a full embrace to have a place of influence. Um, I'm going to show you just a brief 40-second dialogue between Cherie, uh, who we heard from earlier, and Johnny Erickson Tata, and just listen to her talk about really where we need to be headed. Take a look. Hey, real quickly, um, you know, I, I served on the National Council on Disability when the Americans with Disabilities Act was drafted. It was a wonderful thing. But I tell you what, access, it, it, it begins with creating a ramp, right? Mainstreaming, okay, that's having a seat at the table. Inclusion, that's having a voice at the table. But being heard at the table, that's embracing. And that's what, um, that's what Rancho Community does, and, and keep doing it. In fact, share that news with other churches in the community that they need to embrace, not just create a, a handicapped parking space or a ramp or create mainstreaming or inclusion. No, 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 go out there and embrace people with disabilities and you will be blessed. I love it. Thank you, Sheree. I love it. Thank oh, you, yeah. Paul. Let's, um, let's really go after that, right? Let's go after that together. Yes, access is fantastic for sure. Um, uh, having a seat at the table, great. But how about influence? How about influence? And that only happens when we truly look at people the way Jesus looked at people. Jesus saw a man who happened to be blind from birth and he shows mercy and justice and love. And at the end of the story, in John chapter nine, this man is at the seat of influence. This man is talking with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are saying, I don't think Jesus is from God. He broke the little letter of the law. And this man was saying, wait a minute. This Jesus caused me to see, and you're wondering where he's from. He was very sarcastically influencing the world around him. That's because Jesus gave him respect, love, saw the man, showed mercy, 
confronted injustice and showed him the love that he and every single human being deserves. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we uh, thank you for this biblical vision, Old Testament and New Testament, that the priority is mercy, justice, and love shown to everyone equally. And God, we just recognize in our highly polarized, highly divided uh, society, oftentimes we are looking out for ourselves and protecting our own rights and protecting uh, our own people in, in almost a tribal way. The people who are, 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 that look like us and think like us and believe like us and vote like us. We are so polarized and we are in camps. It's almost as though we're back in, in, in tribalism considering one another threats and, and fighting against each other. God, let us see Jesus. Let us follow Jesus. And Jesus humanized everyone, and he brought everyone together. He was inclusive. He was welcoming. The doors of the kingdom of heaven, he flung wide open where everyone is welcome, not just to attend, but everyone is welcomed and treated as equals. Everyone is given a seat at the table of influence, and everyone is given the right to, to lead forward. So God, give us wisdom and how we can do things, even in the small day-to-day -day ways, to show respect and kindness and love. Help us in the, in the big ways to, to show mercy to communities that need help, to combat where there is injustice, keeping people in, in poverty and keeping people marginalized and voiceless. And God, may this church be a beacon of light in our own community and wherever we get to partner uh, abroad uh, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, advancing the cause of Christ in the areas of mercy, justice, and love. In Christ's name we pray and everybody said.